You are listening to Intergenerational Politics with Jill Wine-Banks and Victor Shi, where we host weekly political discussions that are engaging and relevant to all generations with experts on various issues facing our country today. This is Victor Shi. I'll be an incoming freshman next year at UCLA, and I'm also the proud co-host of this podcast with Jill. Um, Jill, before we get started, can you introduce yourself uh, for our, our audience listening today? Sure. I'm Jill Weinbanks. I was um, the author of The Watergate Girl, based on my experiences during the Watergate trial and investigation as part of the special prosecution team. Um, I've also been the general counsel of the U.S. Army, the head of the American Bar Association, um, been in private practice and corporate as well, and am now co-hosting this wonderful podcast, which I hope everyone is enjoying, and will send us your thoughts on what subjects you'd like us to cover, what guests you'd like us to have, and any questions that we don't answer during the show, uh, please feel free to let us know through our website and we will answer them. For sure. Um, So on our show today, we will be discussing mail-in ballots and everything you need to know about voting in the 2020 election. Um, We really couldn't find anyone better than Commissioner Ellen Weintraub from the Federal Election Commission to join us for this discussion. So um, first, thank you so much for being here today, Commissioner Weintraub. Thank you. It's great to be here, and it's delightful to meet you. Of course. Um, So I'll hand it off to Jill to kick off this discussion, in which she'll focus on um, the ways we can vote in November, the ridiculous claims being made about mail-in ballots um, from the GOP and Republicans, and then I'll kind of talk about what we've been seeing um, with the vote-by-mail applications as well as ballots from the primary election so far, and what voters need to know before they do send in their mail-in ballots. So Jill, um, handing it back off to you. Okay, so... Um, Commissioner, or can I call you Ellen? Which would you prefer? Okay, so what I'd like to start with, just to make sure that everybody understands what the FEC is, the Federal Election Commission, um, you are, I think, maybe the longest serving commissioner right now. Is that correct? Right now, yes. Not not ever, but right now. No, no, no. And right now, do you have a quorum? We do not, and that right. is a problem. There are supposed to be six commissioners, and right now we only have three. And you would need four to have a quorum, right? Yes, it takes four votes under the statute to make most of the important decisions that the commission is entrusted with. Which means that to the extent that you can take any actions to assure fair elections, you can't do anything right now. Well, we, we can do some things. Uh, one of the primary focuses of the FEC is providing information to the public, providing disclosure about money and politics at the federal level, who's supporting which candidates and what they're spending their money on. The, that, uh, that information, everything you read uh, in the newspaper about how much money candidates have raised and who's supporting them, all of that comes from the data that candidates and party committees and super PACs and all the folks who are spending money in politics send to us, they report it to the FEC and we make it public. And we we have our analysts are hard at work analyzing that information. Our uh, our data people are getting it up online. So all of that, uh, all of those operations, fortunately, are done at the staff level. They don't really mm-hmm. require commissioners to make decisions in order to keep the public informed on that. So that's a good thing. That's one one silver lining. However, we also are charged with enforcing the law. We are charged with uh, investigating complaints and issuing rules, issuing guidance, 
And we can't do any of those things without four votes. So uh, that is not a good thing. And I know it's public information because um, I was criticized for making a donation to Lauren Underwood, a candidate for Congress in the Illinois um, area, in a red district. She's a Democrat running. Uh, and that was public. So all the information that you're getting about who is donating um, is public. And part of the reason that it is, and the reason actually for the existence of the FEC, has to do with Watergate, because money was uh, freely flowing into the Committee to Reelect the President, uh, known as CREEP, which was President Nixon's reelection committee. Uh, and they had so much money that they could afford to waste it on paying for a break-in and for hush money. Um, and as a result of all of the scandal of Watergate, it's my understanding that all this legislation about campaign financing uh, came into effect and led to the, the creation of your uh, commission. Is that correct? Yes, there were some laws on the books before Watergate, but Watergate really did provide the impetus for creating an agency dedicated to following the money. Right. So um, let's, let's now look at the um, GOP has been attacking the voting by mail um, and telling voters uh, who are going to vote for them to vote in person. So I want to clear up some facts uh, for our audience, which is, you know, what are the ways that people can vote? Is there a difference in the way they vote? And, um, you know, obviously they can vote in person on the day of the election. They can vote in person for weeks before in almost every jurisdiction by early voting, or they can get a mail ballot, which they can deposit back into a post box or a ballot box. Um, and so I want to know a little bit more about how people find out what opportunities are available, how they can find out about early voting, how they can find out where there are ballot boxes so that they don't have to put it into the hands of the post office during this time when the post office has had a slowdown. Um, you know, the postmaster general says it isn't because of political reasons, but he acknowledges there is a slowdown. So how, how can people assure themselves that their vote will get in and will be counted? Okay, so as you know, elections are administered at the state and local level. So that is not something that the FEC actually does, right. but given uh, what's been going on in this very challenging election year, it is a, a subject that I have made a point to um, educate myself about. Uh, I would recommend a couple of very good websites, vote.gov and vote.org. Uh, they, they both will lead you to links where you can find your local election board. And you should absolutely, all of your listeners should go to the source, go to your local election board for information. Don't trust information that you just, you know, some guy told you on or you saw on the internet. Go to the official source to get your information. As, as you've said, there are a variety of ways that one can vote. A lot of states this year have expanded the options for voting by mail because the voters really have demanded it. A lot of voters feel uncomfortable going into the polling stations. Almost everywhere there is still the option of voting in person. Uh, there are five states that do almost exclusively vote by mail and have been doing that for a number of years now. Um, 
but in, in most jurisdictions, um, it's a mixture of vote by mail and, and uh, or what is sometimes called absentee voting or voting in person. And as you've said, voting in person can happen on election day or during an early voting period. And you can find out where and when, again, by going to those uh, websites and, and following the links. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable going in person and voting, then uh, there are in most states uh, expanded opportunities for voting by mail, not everywhere. There are still some states that require an excuse. You have to have a reason in order to get an absentee mm -hmm. ballot. And there are now, even amongst those states, there are states where um, for this year at least, they've said that the existence of COVID-19 and people's concerns about it, that justifies it. That's enough of an excuse right. in order to write down and, and request an absentee ballot. Uh, there are a, a small number of states where they will not accept that as an excuse. Um, you have to have yet another excuse in order to uh, vote by mail. But in those states, I would urge people to take advantage of the opportunities to vote early to avoid the crowds. If you cannot vote by mail, then, then do vote early so that um, you can try and avoid some of the crowding situations and it'll take some strain off of the system on election day. And if you are voting by mail, you should also vote early because you wanna make sure that your vote gets in uh, in time to be counted. There are uh, deadlines for when the those votes have to get in and some, again, go to the website of your local right. jurisdiction to find out. But in some states, the, the deadline is, it has to be postmarked by election day. In some states, it has to be received by the time the polls close. So make sure if you're mailing it in, mail it in early or take advantage of those drop boxes. Usually the Board of Elections itself will have drop boxes at their own headquarters, but uh, there may also be other drop boxes that they have placed around your community. Uh, and that's another good way to um, uh, assure yourself that your vote is in the box on time. You know, this kind of information, I just wanna stress how important what you just said is which is to be informed, you need to get the information from an official source. You can call or email or go on the website of your local Secretary of State uh, because as Commissioner Weintraub just said, all of the voting is done at the state county level so that it has nothing to do with the federal government. They don't run this election, not even the race for president. It's done locally and so where you need to know where to register, where to confirm that you're registered. If you voted in the past, you probably are, but some states have taken to purging voter rolls if you haven't voted recently um, or for any other reason. So you wanna make sure that you are actually registered before the registration deadline runs out. And you wanna find out where those drop boxes are. Um, but you said something else that I wanna follow up on, which has to do with um, the Republicans are urging their voters to vote in person, whereas Democrats in general have been urging voters to vote by mail because of COVID. And my concern, as someone who has watched many, many nights of election returns, is that if Republicans do vote in person and Democrats vote by mail, the early returns that is all returns that are in by midnight the night of the election, for example, are going to show a disproportionate number going Republican. And so I worry what will happen um, in that initial instance 
if all of the mail ballots, which are more heavily favoring Democrats because of how Democrats are being urged to vote, um, what kind of chaos that might result and whether there's any role for the FEC in clarifying the, the possible misinformation or chaos that may result? Well, as I said, the FEC doesn't have uh, an official role to play in counting ballots or all of that is done at the state and local level, but I do feel that uh, particularly this year it's important for someone in my position to be countering misinformation that's out there. Um, and, I, and I think that election night is going to be not like most election nights. We may well not know the results on election night. I wrote an op-ed about this with a historian from Princeton, uh, Kevin Cruz, uh, a couple of months ago, because I could see this coming, that election night's gonna come and everybody's gonna say, okay, what are the results? And we yeah. might not know. I think there's actually a very good chance. We won't know because there are some states where they are banned by law from even starting yes. to process the mail-in votes until election day or until the polls close. So if they can't start even opening the envelopes and processing right. millions of mail-in votes until election day itself, and some of those are swing states, the, the odds are of our actually knowing all the, the results right. of all the races on election night, I think, are not actually great. And I'm hoping that the media is Zero. going to be uh, somewhat restrained about this. The media has a really important role to play in terms of um, building expectations for this. So if, you know, they're there on election night saying, you know, and when the polls close, we're going to be able to tell you who won, people are going to be confused at best. And, um, and what I would really hate would be for people to feel that there was some fraud going on where as as the election officials are doing their jobs and meticulously counting the ballots, which could take time. So the fact that we won't know, perhaps, I want, nobody knows what's going to happen on election night, but I think we have to be prepared for the possibility that we won't know the results on election night. That does not mean that there's anything wrong going on. It means the election officials are doing their jobs. We want right. everyone's vote to count. I, I think that is very important for people to know, and I think you're right. The media has a real responsibility to make it clear, starting right now, I would say you're understating it. I think there's zero chance that the results will be known. Um, New York State doesn't even allow you counting. I can't remember now whether it's, Victor, do you remember from Mimi Roca's race? It's either three or five days after yeah. the polls mm -hmm. close is when they can start counting. So when you say we're not going to know the results, in New York, for sure, we're not going to know the results. Um, and many states cannot, st and, and rightly so, in the same way that the news media no longer reports the results in New York based on exit polling before the polls close in California, because it could influence people, oh, I'm not going to bother voting, it's overwhelmingly X, or it's overwhelmingly Y, and I would have voted for them anyway, so I don't have to bother voting. We don't want that to happen. And so that's why they don't count the votes until after the polls close, or at least the day of the election. Um, and presumably do their best to keep it confidential until after the polls close, because you don't want that influencing anything. So Ellen, one follow-up question I'd like to ask is, um, because of my concern about the 
uh, election being celebrated the night of November 3rd before all the mail ballots are in and with expectations that there's going to be more than there has ever been. It could be more than half of all votes will be cast by mail. Um, is there anything that we can do to make sure that uh, people aren't celebrating on false information or incomplete information? Well, the media obviously have a big role to play in this in not creating false expectations and not reporting results when they really have only a, a very small sample of the electorate that they're working off of um, because, you know, they've got the way they sometimes do, you know, with 2% precincts reporting, we have these results. And then if those 2% are also uh, precincts where the um, uh, a very small percentage voted in person and a much larger percentage voted by mail, that even that is not going to be valuable information. But there's a really good example. There's a way that the uh, local election officials can really help on this and be if they exercise restraint. And there's a great model uh, from Wisconsin, um, actually. Wisconsin was not a model primary in many ways, but one thing that they really got right was they held close all of the information until they finished the count. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there, were no, there were no early results posted. They waited a week. It took mm -hmm. them a week to count up all of the mail ballots that came in and to get a hard, firm, final result. And then they announced it. And, and that worked just fine. And everybody just waited and was patient for that week. And then the results came out and they knew who the winners were and nobody had false expectations in the meantime. Nobody was ginned up thinking that one side won or the other side won. And I, I really think that's a great model going forward for the, for the fall election that maybe election administrators should not be announcing results until they really know what the results are. That is so interesting because you're right. It, it often happens, I'll say 2% of the precincts and those precincts are a small rural county which is heavily one party or the other, and no city has voted. And so the results will flip completely from the first 5% to the second 5%. Um, that's such an interesting thing that states could do to calm the nation and that the media could do by warning the nation that there will not be results on November 3rd. That's very interesting. Um, I think these are all really important things that you've said. People must find out when to register, when the, what's the deadline, how to register, how to vote by mail if that's what they choose. Um, and I, I believe you can ask for a mail ballot and hold it until the day of the election and bring it to the polling place and just drop it off without having to go through being there long enough to actually vote. Or if you see that it's a short line, you could vote in person. Um, and you know, it depends on your age and your health and whether you feel comfortable being outside at all. Uh, otherwise, someone else can put it in the post box or the ballot box, um, the lock box. But these are really important things for people to understand and to have no expectation of popping corks and dropping balloons on election night because Whatever the results are on election night will only reflect possibly a very small percentage. In past, do, do you know how many people have voted by mail versus in person and what the expectation in, is now? In 2016, uh, one in four uh, voters voted absentee. Mm. And uh, this year, I mean, we don't really know, but I, I've, I've read that 
um, close to 200 million voters are eligible to vote by mail. Now, we don't know how many actually yeah. will vote by mail. I, I've seen some estimates in the 80 million voter range. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. One, right. one, one um, suggestion that I would make in response to what you just said, though, Jill, is that people should not wait until election day to decide how they're going to vote. Make a plan now. Oh, no. As soon as you finish listening yeah. to this podcast, go on to the website, check and see if you're registered to vote. If you're not, then start that process. There are many jurisdictions where you have to register in advance. You can't do that at the last minute. Get, right. And if you're going to request an absentee ballot, request it now so that you make sure you get it in plenty of time. And uh, as I said, I would strongly recommend either putting it in the mail early, putting it in a drop box early, however you're going to vote, do it as early as possible. Mm -hmm. That is, I, I did misspeak when I said that. All, all I was saying is that there are people who feel like, oh, maybe they don't know the down ballot rates, races well enough, or they don't know what judges, and they're holding it off. Um, you can, theoretically, put it in a drop box. I would not put it in a mailbox on the day of election, because that no. is a guarantee that your vote won't count. And this is, an, as every election, it's, it's the right and the responsibility of every citizen to vote. And we should, you know, we're celebrating 100 years of women having the vote. I say, please, women, get out there and vote. Men, too, but use that right that we have that's so unique to our democracy and get out there and vote. And, uh, Victor, let's talk about, I mean, that, that's from my perspective. What about from your perspective? Yeah, well, so the other night um, I called Jill um, a bit horrified <laughs> at the high number of rejected vote-by-mail applications. So NPR had reported that um, over 500,000 mail-in ballots have been rejected throughout the primary so far, and that's not even including failure rates, which is um, if a ballot doesn't make it to someone's home on time or doesn't reach the election official until after the date set for um, counting and accepting mail ballots. So I guess you alluded to this previously, but can you just tell our audience um, what the most common errors made by voters with their uh, vote-by-mail ballot are so that they can avoid their ballots um, potentially being rejected? Well, the two most common um, reasons why a vote would be rejected, why a ballot would be rejected is it doesn't get there on time. Again, you got to vote early. Um, or the voter makes some mistake. And often it's a signature problem. They forget to sign. They don't realize that they have to sign. So particularly if you are not somebody who is used to voting by mail, make sure you read all the directions mm -hmm. and follow every direction meticulously. If you mm -hmm. have some ballots, if you have a stray mark, it invalidates the ballot. If you have a tear in the envelope, it invalidates the ballot. So you want to take very good care of your ballot when you when you receive it. Make sure it's in pristine condition. If it, if it comes uh, damaged, then you should immediately contact contact your Board of Elections and find out whether uh, that would be a disqualifying uh, situation or whether you can get another ballot, because often you can. Um, so make sure you do all of that and make sure that if there's a signature required that you sign it. Um, they will do a signature match based on either your driver's license or how you registered to vote. Again, it varies by jurisdiction. So, you know, you want to have a signature that matches the way you signed it when you registered to vote. Uh, some people have switched to their initials along the years, and I've heard of people getting their ballots tossed out because they initialed it instead of signing it. So the signature really matters on a mail-in ballot because that's how they verify that it's really you. And in some jurisdictions, they will reach out to you if there's a problem with your signature and give you an opportunity to correct it. 
but not in all of them, and not necessarily in time for it to count. So you want to get it right the first go around. There yeah. are there are more errors in mail-in ballots, mm -hmm. particularly amongst people who aren't used to doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and the one advantage of going to the polling station is that there's somebody there that you can ask questions of if you're confused about things. Uh, you don't have that when you're sitting at home filling out the ballot uh, on your own. So make sure that you read the directions carefully. I, can I just clarify one thing, which is I, I don't want people to think that when they sign the ballot that they are signing it on a thing that shows what their vote right. is. Right. They're signing on an external envelope which is used to confirm, in the same way that when you vote in person, you have to sign the register. You sign and right. someone looks at that and makes sure that it's you. But no one will see your vote. They don't know right. how you voted. They only see that. And then the ballot, which has the markings of who you selected, goes into a separate thing that no one, no one knows who it came from. Right. They just right. know that everything that is put into that box came from a legitimate registered voter, which means there can't be any fraud. Yeah. Right. And also like in terms of uh, just verifying signatures, so to my understanding, um, so after someone sends their mail-in ballot and after um, November 3rd passes, uh, election lawyers from both the Trump and the Biden campaign are then sent into states um, to help verify these signatures. Would that be correct? Well, no, it's the responsibility of the of the officials, the, the mm -hmm. state and local officials who run the elections to verify the ballots. I imagine there will be <laughs> litigation. Um, uh, and there are uh, many of the jurisdictions have a transparent process where people can watch the verification process. So um, we could see scenes not dissimilar for those of us who still remember 2000. Uh, there, there could be more scenes like that where you have election officials scrutinizing the ballots, and then you have lawyers from from both sides who are kind of looking over their shoulders and making sure that you know they agree with that and challenging the ones that they disagree with, which is another reason why we may not have the results right on time because that process too could take a while to sort out. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, so we talked about um, some of the ways that people can vote, um, whether it's in person, whether it's early voting, whether it's um, vote by mail. Um, one of my concerns when I called Jill was the fact that because Democrats are voting by mail and that so many ballots are being rejected, that this possibly may um, backfire on Democrats. Um, I guess, do you think that we should be pushing perhaps more early voting rather than vote by mail? From my perspective, mm -hmm. I want every eligible citizen. I don't care what their party affiliation mm -hmm. is. I want mm -hmm. every eligible citizen to have a safe and accessible means of voting and to feel comfortable voting by whatever means they do that um, and and to exercise their right to vote. So I, I just want to be clear about that, that my it's 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 neither my job nor my interest in promoting one side getting counted versus the other side getting counted. I want all the votes to count. Um, uh, you know, so when you're talking about political strategy as to whether, you know, people should be encouraging their supporters to vote one way versus the other. I'm just, I'm not going to get into that. Um, uh, I think there are a lot of people who are choosing to vote by mail. They don't feel comfortable going to the polling stations. Um, and I just want to make sure that for those people who choose that option, that they know what the rules are and they um, do whatever they can to ensure that their votes do count. There will be a certain number of ballots that are going to get 
rejected. I mean, you know, we've seen it in the primaries and it is inevitably going to happen in the, in the general. I think, you know, there may be some people who feel for that reason that they would rather go in person and vote. There are certain communities that historically feel more comfortable voting in person. Um, and there are communities where they don't have good postal service and they, <laughs> and they need a means to, to vote by mail. Um, tribal lands are uh, uh, one example where they really, you know, they don't have street addresses, they don't, they don't have good uh, mail delivery there that they can rely on. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for some people it's going to make more sense to, to vote in person. And uh, as, as you said, and as I said before, there are early voting options in, in most jurisdictions. So, you know, people can take advantage of that and take some of the strain off the system. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, so before we wrap today, um, so I am a first time voter in the general election. I voted um, during the primaries. Um, you know, this podcast is all about representing all generations. So for any first time voter out there who's listening, um, do you have any, any advice for um, someone who's just about to vote, you know, someone who is heading off to college, who may be confused about how to vote in the general election process? Like what would you say to um, young people who may be figuring out uh, what it's like to vote um, in the general election? Well, I would say first, Welcome. Uh, the country needs your votes and needs your energy and your enthusiasm and uh, and and for your generation to be represented. Um, you wouldn't let your grandparents choose your your music or your clothing. Don't <laughs> let them choose your government. Um, so please, young people, get out and vote and uh, educate yourself. Go to trusted sources. Make sure you're getting solid information that you can depend on, on not only the mechanics, but the information that you consume about um, the candidates themselves. There's a lot of disinformation out there. There's a, you know, we haven't even gotten into this whole question of potential foreign interference, um, uh, not to mention domestic disinformation that may be out there. So be sure that you're getting your information from trusted sources. Don't share information unless you know it's coming from trusted sources. And if you are young and healthy and you want to do your, your, a real solid for your democracy, consider signing up to be a poll worker because the election um, uh, administrators throughout the country are really in a bind this year. Most poll workers historically have been senior citizens and many of them are, are dropping out this year. They don't feel safe doing it. And that's one of the reasons why we have seen enormous lines uh, at some of the polling stations and they've had to consolidate voting stations because they don't have enough workers. So if you're young and healthy, uh, this is a really great way that you can contribute to your country. And I'll also add, um, in Illinois, I know that if you are a poll worker, you get paid as well. So that is yes. um, an incentive for, I think, young people um, to get involved with that position. But um, like you said, I think it's just so important for young people to, and everyone to realize, you know, um, you plan your vote, make sure you know what's going on, um, do some research. It might take a little bit more time, but it's worth it in the end. One last question I just thought of, which is, uh, we're both lawyers. Is there a way that lawyers, uh, you obviously already are trained in election laws, but um, I'm not. Is there a way that I could get training so that I could help on election night um, or in the election run-up? Because I don't think we have an election day or night anymore. We have an election weeks. I mean, in my jurisdiction, uh, early voting is weeks ahead of, of the actual election. But um, I'd love to be able to volunteer to help, and I know a lot of my friends would. Is there a place that we could turn to get the kind of training? Well, it depends on exactly what you want to do. Obviously, if you want to 
volunteer to actually be at the polls to be poll workers then um uh and as victor pointed out it's not always volunteer often you get mm -hmm. paid um yes. uh you can go to the local election boards for that there are also uh nonpartisan election protection organizations that are um uh gathering volunteers to help them to make sure that everyone's vote is fair and protected and both of the parties have uh, uh their own operations where they are uh, i'm sure getting a lot of volunteer mm -hmm. legal assistance so there's a variety of ways that uh, if you're asking specifically about lawyers that lawyers could contribute to the process this discussion was really enjoyable um it's so informative and we really appreciate your time commissioner weintraub my pleasure it's great talking to you thank, thank you, so you very much we hope you listening also enjoy this episode. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, and send us suggestions, ideas for future topics, and speakers you would like to see via Jill, myself, or our website. Lastly, Intergenerational Politics is now on Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe and rate our channel to support us. Thanks for listening, and see you on our next episode.